Welcome to the Big Ten on Radio Boise. Um, I'm your host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host Jackie Kettler and our very special guest, David Wilkins, from the Department of Geosciences at Boise State University. How are you doing today, David? Doing well, thanks. Beautiful day outside. Yeah, it is. Uh, Too bad we're stuck here in the studio. (laughs) Um, But we have uh, some interesting things to talk about today. So let's let's start off. uh, You're a geoscientist, um, and my extensive research on Google tells me that there's more than one type of geoscientist. so can you, what kind of geoscientists are you? What kind of research do you do? Um, you're right. There's, there's a number of different flavors of geosciences. Um, my specialty is geomorphology, uh, which basically looks at the interaction and interplay between uh, the land surfaces and land surface processes, uh, atmosphere, and humans. Uh, because also, in, not only am I, am I a geoscientist, I'm also a geographer. Uh, so my, my, my last two degrees, including my doctorate, are in geography. And my area of geography overlaps very well with geosciences, which is why I'm here in Boise. Interesting. So uh, when it comes to, and we have a pretty strong department of geosciences here at Boise State, is Idaho and Boise in particular a really interesting place to be doing this type of research? Idaho, Boise, Mountain West is, 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 a, is a great place to be doing this kind of research. Uh, for me, for geomorphology and, and geosciences in general, because um, you have this, this, area, this semi-arid landscape, which, which uh, doesn't have a whole lot of what we call organic overburden. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not a lot of trees and get in the way of, the, of, the, of what we're looking to, to study. Um, and so it really makes it a perfect place for us to um, examine things and see things in real, real time, as well as seeing, seeing records from the past in, 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 the, in the terrestrial archives. And so is that how you ended up at Boise State? Was you're like, oh, wait, look at all the big hills. This is way better than being in the you know, New England or the South, right? Is that- oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we, have, we, have, uh, came from, uh, we came from Texas, um, and we've been looking out west for a long time. Um, we found Boise 18 years ago and haven't looked back. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Now do you return to places with humidity and just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Oh, oh, oh yes. I'm wondering, how do you live here? <laughs> uh, I'd like to think of Texas as being a great place to be from. Uh, you know, you told me that once before. Now I like to say that about Mississippi. It's great to be from. It's fun to visit sometimes. Right? Yes, exactly. You had to go back to visit, but, but to remember why you left. <laughs> so you've been here, you've been at Boise State 18 years? Yes. And so, I mean, presumably the geosciences department has changed some over the years? We've almost doubled in size. Wow. In terms of faculty, um, certainly doubled in size in terms of students, both graduate and undergraduate. Um, we currently have about a, about a hundred and some undergraduate majors okay. and fifty uh, masters and PhD students. Um, so it's it's and we so we've we've really done uh, it's really grown a lot since we've been I've been here, and we really enjoyed. It. It's been fun watching. It's been a, quite a ride. <laughs> As it has been with the rest of the university, the university's changed sure. immensely since we got here. Um, when we first got here, the, the university had just had its first PhD program in geophysics in our, in our apartment, and within five years, no, within ten years, we've have now have what eight or nine of them. Yeah. So it, it's 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 a it's it's a been a significant change for the university and the and the city and the state. So what attracted you to geoscience and geomorphology in particular? Um, I've always been curious about the landscape. Uh, 
going through Texas and seeing the road cuts in West Texas, um, you know, just trying to ask, just asking questions about how these things came to be. You know, the, you see some beautiful road cut geology is fantastic because you see some beautiful folds exposed to you by the Department of Transportation, <laughs> um, and and it's and it's it's a it's a wonderful way to get a, a, a to start your your um, inquiry. And oftentimes you have some really good road, uh, road cuts in Colorado or in the West. Uh, in, in the fall, you'll oftentimes you'll see a, a caravan of vans uh, with, with, with geologists crum- <laughs> climbing over the, the, the outcrop looking at it because of the field trip cap- uh, possibilities that it, that it provides. Um, and for those who aren't familiar, what are road cuts? A uh, road cut is where, where, the, where the highway department, rather than going over a hill, cuts the hill away. And, and basically you, you, you go through and you can see what's in the hill in, in terms of the geology okay, as, 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 you're, as you're driving through. We have, we have them around here. Um, there's uh, road cuts going as you go past uh, Lucky Peak uh, up in up that area. There's, there's some tremendous road cuts showing the outer batholith cut by uh, uh, dark volcanic rock, the basalt that came later. Um, the granite, the white granite, uh, granite diorite of the of the of the um, batholith. You have road cuts going down uh, to Cuna, where where the road cuts through some of the uh, former river terraces between the Boise and 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 the and the and the Snake. Hmm. Um, so you get to see the geology there is a little, little less interesting for for, <laughs> a, for 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 somebody who's into structural geology, but for a geomorphologist, it's great because you can see what's fairly recent. That's fantastic. So. So you also said that you do uh, research or you look at the human dimension of all of this. Like, so can you talk, tell us a little bit more about that? Like, what what human dimensions do you kind of look at? Well, we we look at, um, and, and well, how do, how do humans interact with the landscape, and how does the landscape respond to that? And and uh, so we uh, geomorphologists, professional geomorphologists and geologists, look at you know what happens when you develop on a hillside. Um, that's humans interacting with the landscape that may not be completely stable, and, and so when, when does that interaction is, is it, can that landscape withstand that? Uh, what's the response? Um, we unfortunately have some some very close uh, examples of that up in the foothills, mm-hmm. where you see where the the developers had not done their homework apparently, or somebody had not done their homework. <laughs> Um, and and people were allowed to build there, and the result is now you have a bunch of empty pads because the houses started sliding away. It gives a whole other meaning to the term mobile home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, when you say you know building on the hand, I, of course think of the ho- houses that started to slide down there. You know those big beautiful houses and the ongoing legal cases that were involved with that. Right. Um, but you know that's got to be a, a terrible day for those people. When they're I, I, all I, I know I know some people who who were up there, and 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 so I. I yeah, it's it's really it's close to home because everybody knows everybody in Boise, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I look out my office. I have a, I watch that that slide from my office because it's 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 straight out the window and I have a pair of binoculars and so I just kind of monitor it all the time. It's it's a, <laughs> it's a fascinating uh, s- story about why we should understand our environment uh, sure. better in terms of uh, in terms of of. of and we're not always in charge. <laughs> well, you know, and that's uh, a kind of a, I think, a very interesting thing to talk about, especially here in the Treasure Valley with all the development that's going on, right? Especially as we develop in different directions and deal with things like trying to build in the foothills or close to the river where there's clearly floodplains and all right. that. Um, so do you have any thoughts about, uh, about like, the development that's going on in Boise? I mean, it's, is it good or bad or anything? Uh, I, th- I think it's, I mean, I, good or bad is subjective. Um <laughs> 
I, I think it's it's good for the, the city. It's got some great publicity in the past. It's a very livable city. Uh, we and people are going to come here, and it's going to be development regardless. And ha- you know, having a, a, a plan for the development is certainly something that needs to be in place. Um, there are issues with as you develop. You know, you're, you're putting more impermeable surfaces over over the landscape. Uh, the runoff will be faster, and when we have storms or snow melt. Um, if you're on, on the river, you know, the floodplains are dynamic, and the flood, flood zone is dynamic because how fast the river will respond to a, to a rainfall event or a snow, snow melt release um, is going to vary. And, and the more we have development up in the foothills, well, it's not so much the snow melt, I guess, but more the, 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 if we have intense rainstorms that go up into the, into the foothills, you know, thunderstorms in the, in the fall and, and summer, late summer, um, those come down, and next thing you know, Harrison Boulevard has you know, a foot of water on it really, very quickly because we don't have the best storm drain system. You know, every time you drive, have a good rainstorm, you see the, all the puddles around campus. <laughs> uh, just kind of remind you of that. Um, so the, the, you know, putting more permeable surfaces, converting land, uh, that's farmland that, that absorbs water and rainfall into uh, lawns and grass and houses and rooftops that don't. Um, it's going to have it, it will have some some changes in, in the in the landscape and, and in the and the systems that we have here in the in the valley. That's a really interesting thought. Uh, unfortunately, we have to take a, a brief break. Um, you're listening to uh, the Big Ten on Radio Boise, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're tuned in to Radio Boise, your source for music and public affairs programming in Boise and beyond. You're back on the Big Ten uh, on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And I'm uh, your host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host, Jackie Kettler. We're both with the School of Public Service at Boise State University. And we're here with one of our Boise State colleagues, David Wilkins, uh, from the Department of Geosciences. And, uh, you know, kind of a a good segue from the last uh, segment there when we were talking about development and hearing some of David's thoughts on that is, David, you do some work with a very specific kind of development here in the wine industry, right, in the Treasure Valley? Yes, I've I've been involved with the wine industry for about... 13, 14 years now. Um, so that's that's very interesting uh, just because it, it seems to be something that's growing, that's becoming more popular, these Idaho wines. Um, so can you tell us more about, you know, the kind of work you're doing there and what's going on with the wine industry here? Certainly. Um, about, well, in 2004, the wine industry approached our department um, with a, a request to see if we would be interested in helping them develop their first, uh, what's called an AVA, or America. Uh, American Viticultural Area, which is a federally designated region where grapes grow in that area, uh, made into wine, can have that area on its on its label. So you think of f- famous ones: Napa, Sonoma Coast, uh, Lodi, um, you know, uh, Walla Walla. Th- these are all are AVAs, and they're, and they're federally designated. And so uh, they came to us with a, to ask about a plan to help develop their, their first one in Idaho. We had nothing in Idaho. All the wines that were produced, they had a small industry at the time. All the wines that produced just had Idaho on the label. And not just not just Idaho, had Idaho. Uh, there's no such thing as just Idaho. Um, so we, we, we uh, worked with them. Uh, we identified and, 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 and created the, uh, identified the boundary for the AVA, which is kind of a logical one, which is the, an elevation that may have been a high stand for, for ancient Lake Idaho, a, a, a geologic feature, which what we were familiar with, uh, at around 3,400 feet elevation. Um, 
and that becomes our AVA. Uh, we, we put the application through the, the federal government. Um, it was approved in 2007, and, and we've not looked back since then. 2007, when, we, when, we, when it was approved, I believe we had 15 wineries in the state. Uh, now we have 52. Wow. So it, so that that's so having an AVA and having name now we have three AVAs also. There's not just we have the Snake River Valley AVA, which is the the, the big behemoth. It's it's similar to the Columbia uh, uh, Valley and 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 Washington and Oregon. Um, it's it's huge. It's the size of Rhode Island and Delaware combined, <laughs> I think. Um, and then we have some we have a, a smaller AVA within that uh, the Eagle Foothills which is brand new it's about 2 or 3 years old i think 3 years old uh, and it's got it's developing its own little niche with, with it has a, a, a one one major winery and, and developing some smaller ones within it and, and grape growing capabilities and an, even a newer one up in northern Idaho the Lewis Clark Valley AVA which is uh, centered on Lewiston and Clarkston uh, goes it, it goes up the rivers up there the Clearwater and and, and, the, and the Snake and it goes out to the uh, into, into into Washington for a bit as well. Um, so we've, we've grown quite a bit. It's, it's, it's been fun to watch you mature. And, and so do you have different types of grapes and different types of wines being produced in different AVAs? Or why is that designation kind of interesting? Well, it, 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 the, the AVA, you, you don't, we're not like Europe where you, where you have regulated uh, wine production in terms of what you can grow and put in a wine and call it that. Uh, here is, is in the U.S., it's it's kind of a, it's somewhat of a wild west, but slightly regulated in the sense that as long as the grapes are grown in that in that region, you can put it in a bottle and and, and put that label on the bottle. Um, we, but we we do know and that's part of what we study, uh, uh, myself and and, and others, uh, in terms of looking at what grapes may be suitable mm-hmm. in a particular area. Uh, our our we have one of the higher elevation AVAs in the country. Um, it's it's a high dry high desert dry climate dry summer uh, cold winter, um, and so that's one of the challenges that we we're helped we're trying to work to get the wine industry local wine industry here in the Snake River Valley, um, with with data uh, on how on the climate the mm-hmm. variability, seeing and, and helping them to uh, maybe understand their individual uh, vineyard sites. To know what may be best suited for for their for their grape in, for their for their wine industry. That said, what may be best suited may, may it, no, it also has a balance of that and marketing. So this sure. this is this, these are um, no there's, there's a range of things. So you you can you give them a list of things and they pick the ones that, that can be marketed as well. So a lot of times the decisions are made by what's marketable, but but with it, which is going to be interesting because as, as the climate continues to, to change. Um, it's it's there's a phrase I like. It's called global not global warming but global weirding, <laughs> and, and we end up having widely variable uh, weather patterns instead of you no know, just everything is getting warmer at the time. I mean, and, and it, we have you no know, extreme cold in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, we had the snow apocalypse here in Boise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a deep freeze out in the vineyards, and and it, and it had a significant impact uh, on on that year's crop. You no, know, it was down by. Know, more than half that year because of the hard freeze. Um, so looking, you know, helping, we have some, some graduate students who are looking at modeling climate uh, over, over, over the region. 
um, I'm collecting climate data, uh, kind of starting with long-term data, data set, uh, on, uh, with up to, eventually up to 25 different vineyard sites hmm. um, where we collect data and, and be out there for anybody who wants to come out and, and, and invest in Idaho uh, land to put in a vineyard well, can at least get some ideas about the, the weather variability and, what, and then they can use that data to help identify what's suitable for those vineyard sites. So uh, you definitely talked about, you know, how much the wine industry has grown in Idaho in the last couple of years. So is this, you know, is these kind of unique climate things that are going on in the Treasure Valley, is that, you know, the big reason or is it more marketing or is it just a, you know, kind of offshoot of the rest of the, the growth that's going on in the Treasure Valley? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I think our, our, our weather is, you know, we are seeing warming. So the, it's becoming more conducive to grapes. Uh and, and that's that's becoming and, and people become more aware of that. And once once you have the, you know the, the proverbial camel's nose under the tent, you know, people follow. And so we 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 have a the Idaho Wine Commission has done a, a remarkable job of getting the word out about Idaho wines. Um, we, we've. Uh, news, you know, news write-ups and story articles uh, around the country, major, major, major journals, uh, wine journals, business, wine business um, journals, and such. We have uh, a number of our winemakers have been uh, identified as you know, uh, top winemakers in the country under 40. Um, one, lo- one locally here in, in, in Boise. Um, we, we've got, we have. We, we go head to head with with everybody in the country at these, at these national and international wine uh, competitions and, and come away with you no know, double double platinum double gold medals top you no know, top top quality wines so so people know us it's just a matter of now we're at, we're we're we need to get to the point where we can produce enough to to sell outside the state mm-hmm. and, and get and, and get into a, what is becoming a quieter market all the way around. So, is most Idaho wines currently sold in the kind of Idaho in the region? I, I believe so. Uh, it, it's it's um, there there are there are two or three large producers in the state, and they, and they they have the, because of the, of the volume of, of production, they're able to, to and, and distributorship connections. Uh, one of them is owned by uh, Alice State uh, Corporation. They have connections, and they can they can ship that they can transport them and move their wine outside of the state. Uh, other ones have may have volume, but it's hard to, hard to make inroads into mm-hmm. other states. Some states because of it's crowded. Some states because they don't know us. Some states are like Utah, where it's just hard to get into. Period. Sure. <laughs> Well, uh, those are interesting thoughts about the wine industry. Unfortunately, we have to take another break. You're listening to Radio Boise. Uh, this is The Big Tent. We love you. KRBX. You're back with the Big Ten on Radio Boise, and I'm your host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host Jackie Kettler, and our special guest David Wilkins from the Geoscience Department of Boise State. And we're still talking about wine in the Treasure Valley. Um, booze is always a great subject. Um, so, uh, David, uh, about halfway through that last segment, I, I realized I should have asked you a key question because I know very, very little about wine and even less about growing grapes. What kind of climate, uh, or what kind of things like lend themselves to growing grapes? Like, what what kind of climate do you need? What kind of soil? What are you know? How do you grow grapes, basically? Well, <laughs> that, that's a great question. Um, uh, grapes are 
I guess the common uh, conventional wisdom is that grapes are kind of a weed in the sense that they can grow just about anywhere. Um, and so you can, I have, have some growing in my front yard, but I, I don't think I would probably make grapes out of them, <laughs> uh, wine out of them. Um, for for good, good wine grape production, um, you need to have, uh, you like to have well-drained soil. Um, you don't want to have too much water. Uh, you want to have the grapes being stressed out a bit, a little bit nervous is what I've heard people f- phrase it, uh, because the, you, you want the flavor and the intensity of the flavors in the grapes to come out. Uh, it's, it's quite opposite from what you would have from table grapes where you get these big plump uh, berries coming in on clusters that, 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 are, that have some sweetness to them, but maybe not a whole lot of it. Uh, wine grapes, they have nothing on wine grapes in terms of flavor. Wine grapes, wine grapes rock in terms of, of intensity of flavor. You bite into one and, and, and they're just full of flavor because they're, they're, they're typically small, compact, uh, a lot of there's a, there's a high skin to skin to fruit ratio, so you get uh, the flavor there. Um, the tannins um, are all there. It, it's it's um, so you you want something that's that's, that's warm and hot. Uh, you want to have a nice long growing season, so the grapes can hang on at the end of the season and 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 and, and collect those flavors into the into the berries. Um, you don't want to get too hot too fast and, and then get too cold too fast because you want to have time for those for for them not some no to basically hang on and and and, and develop uh, the nuanced flavors you get in the, in the good quality grapes. We have that here. Um, we have we have real, real, the vineyards in the Sunny Slope area in particular um, have, have extremely well drained soils. Um, they're, 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 it's a dry climate. You know, we, we typically don't get rain after you, after mid late May, mid mid June. Uh, right now, we're depends on how you how, how you define measurable rain, rainfall. Uh, we probably haven't had measurable rainfall in about um, close to probably close to 100 days. Um, so it's 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 getting out there, and and so everything's everything's is done on on irrigation. Uh, we don't we don't have dry land farming per se. Um, so you, you, you water until the grapes uh, start ripening, and then you cut off the water, and then you let the, and, and then you, you just kind of hope it doesn't freeze. You hope it doesn't rain too much, and and, and you let the let the grapes hang on, and, and we do that really well. Our climate is very similar to what you have in places like Walla Walla and parts of Washington, uh, Eastern Washington, um, and and so our, our wine grapes are, are, are similar in, in variety and, and and quality to those areas. Well, I just learned so much about growing grapes. Um, I'm probably going to forget about them in the show, though, so I'll warn you. I don't. You're not going to start a winery. No, uh, I do not have that skill set at all. Um, so, David, you just uh, did a survey about some of the things going on in the wine industry, some of the new opportunities, some of the threats, right? Uh, correct. Correct. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, one of one of your colleagues in, in your department, uh, Eric Lindquist, uh, and, and I ha- uh, had uh, just completed uh, the survey, and we're, we're telling the, the results now and, and coming up with a report here soon. Uh, it's funded by the Idaho State Department of Agriculture um, as a specialty crop brought grant to help improve wine, the wine and grape industry. Um, and essentially, we're, we're, it's called, eventually you're looking at opportunities and challenges. And we, we survey all the, all the people in the industry, you know, the, the winemakers, the, the vineyard owners and managers, uh, distributors, um, financial, financial institutions and such, and coming up with you know, ideas of or trying to identify what are some of the challenges, that, that bi- the main ones that we're, that we're seeing facing our industry that are maybe, maybe slowing the growth or that, 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 that makes it more difficult to grow. Uh, we're going to grow anyway, but, but it, they're, they're nice to have not so many barriers in the way. Um, some of the things we, we, we see are 
Uh, well, we talked about a little bit already. Climate change and climate variability uh, is, is going to be one of them. And getting a grip on and having data sets and data to be able to manage that or, or mitigate that might, is going to be is going to be key. Um, other 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 thing is that we don't have in the state um, any dedicated extension specialists. Uh, dedicated to, to wine grape production. Uh, the uh, University of Idaho has a, a table grape specialist, and they have, I think they have a pomologist of, of you know, fruit trees people, but, but they don't have wine grape production uh, people. people. And we, the wine industry, the wine commission has brought in an expert from out of state uh, as a consultant, and they, he comes up and he, and he meets with wine, make, wine makers and, and grape growers, and, and, and he's been very helpful. Uh, but he's not based in Idaho. He's based in Southern California. And so he, does, he may not always be familiar with everything we're, we're coming up against. So having a, having a dedicated somebody in, in, in state, or, or maybe two, because we have different zones. We have Northern Idaho and Southern Idaho. Having somebody who can, who can on, on, on board who can help us uh, with what to plant, how to plant, how to, how to, what, how to arrange your um, your vineyard, uh, how to irrigate, you know, what kind of pests might you come up, up against. Uh, those kinds of things are unique to di- in different wine regions. And so having out-of-state experts and out-of-region experts, they can give you broad and general uh, advice, but having somebody who actually has, has familiarity and has a kind of a more, more, more closely monitoring the pulse of the, of the, of the, of the environment would be a better, a better fit for the, for the industry. Oh, that's really interesting, David. Um, one thing that's kind of I'm thinking about while you're you're speaking is also like the role of scientists in the local area and working in the state and the region in which you know your your station. And so, do you feel as a scientist that it's a key part of your job to be doing research here locally? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's it's, this is the fun part. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a great industry to work with. They're, they're wonderful people. Uh, very friendly. They're 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 eager to have us help them. Um, they're eager for the data. Um, they they want to learn, and and it, I mean, it's, it's, it's they recognize it's it's in everybody's interest that to have a better better wine industry and whatever they, whatever we can provide for them uh, is is important for us as well. Our mission our mission in the university is outreach. I mean, it's not, you know, uh, do, we we do our own research, but, but but when research can be applied and 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 put into to practice at a local level in, in our state, which is paying our salaries. Uh, <laughs> is, 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 is important and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's I think it's, it's beneficial to the industry and, it, and I, I really enjoy it. Uh, and, and, and you know I studied vineyards, but you know most vineyards have a winery next door to it. So <laughs> <laughs> There's other benefits as well. Yeah, I'm a geographer. I understand these special relationships. <laughs> so David, uh, I think it's really interesting that you're out there you know doing stuff in our, our local community and it's one of those things that me and Jackie are, are con- constantly trying to do at least from the uh, social science part of the policy part. So what do you think is the biggest like obstacle or the biggest challenge to getting out there and I guess working in the field and doing this, you know, applying your science to help our community? Um, just sometimes just the introduction to to, yeah. to a problem, introduction to the people. Um, sometimes uh, and, and having time, um, as, as y'all know, the faculty are, are, are stretched, um, and so ha- having if, if if faculty have have their own research agenda that may not be part of that. Sometimes it's hard to fit this in. I, I'm I was at a good point in my in my career where this this worked worked well uh, for me. Other people uh, can, can do the same thing, but but it's it's there 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 are difficulties in terms of, of funding. Uh, 
Um, it's that's not heavily funded research. Uh, there may be other, at least not in my field, maybe other 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 uh, disciplines, biology and plant physiology, who might be able to get a bit more funding than I can for for this kind of stuff. But doing doing great research. I know the USDA has a research station out there uh, that, that does research on on vineyards in our in our region. But but she's not an extension agent. She, she's she's there to do the research and publish it. So. All right, David. Those are great thoughts about the wine industry. Uh, I love having uh, our guest on because I learned so much. Um, so this is really great. It also means that I don't have to talk the entire time, um, which is just, you know, opens up our, our possibility of me saying something I shouldn't on the radio. I do think before we go, David, what's your favorite type of wine to drink? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, it's something in a glass, uh, <laughs> red or white. And, and <laughs> All right, great. All right, great answer. <laughs> it, 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 it depends. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Thank you to our listeners today. You've been listening to uh, The Big Ten on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Uh, I was your host today, Luke Fowler, here my co-host, Jackie Kettler, from the School of Public Service at Boise State. And our special guest was David Wilkins of the Department of Geoscience. Thanks, David, and we will talk to you all next week. Thank you.